Hello, and we want to welcome you to the audio study guide for Northwood Baptist Church. My name is Trey Rhodes. I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist, and we just appreciate you spending your time with us. We look forward to what God's going to do today as we study the Word of God together. And, and by the way, uh, you're welcome to invite your friends, invite people to come be a part uh, on our podcast. Since it is a podcast, you can Go ahead and hit subscribe, and you'll get every podcast studying the Word of God together as we talk about um, uh, what this passage of Scripture means, and then we're going to go into some discussion questions that should help you as well. So uh, we just want to thank you for being a part and continue to do what only God can do as He draws His people into community, and we believe with all our hearts that your best spiritual growth happens in community. So it's not just about listening to this podcast. We want you to be involved in a life connection group. And and if some of you out there are listening to this and are not involved, then please get out there and and find you a place where you can be with other believers that can encourage you, build you up, teach you the help teach you the word of God and just be with you in in uh, fellowship and uh caring and all the things that will happen in community with you. Alrighty, well, we're in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the last part of Genesis 11 and uh, then on into chapter 12 all the way through verse 9. And um, we are talking, this is part two of, of Genesis. We have covered what we call uh, primordial history, the, the history before uh, we really have any kind of written history. This is a direct result of God's revelation to Moses as he taught the word of God and wrote down the word of God in the desert with the people of God. And uh, as they were wandering, he was writing and uh, explaining to them where they came from, why they were where they were, and what God wanted them to do. And all the the book of Genesis is all about that as he describes what it meant to be uh, created by God and redeemed by God and then called by God, which is where we are today, is about the calling. Um, uh, If you remember... We talked about specifically that when we hear the word the call, we think of missionaries and pastors. But the call is so much more than that. The call is not just to missionaries, although it is. And the call is not just to pastors, although it is. Uh, in our own lives, whether we're lay people, whether we are full-time ministers, whether we are people that are out in the workforce, or whether we are uh, called to be at home with our children, or our grandchildren, or whatever, we all have a call of God in our lives. What does it mean to be called by God? Um, We're called to faith, we're called to serve, we're called to go. And we have Abraham's story that illustrates all of that as we find out what it means to be called by God. So we're going to talk about three truths about the calling of God on your life. Number one is God's call is graciously powerful. God's call is graciously powerful. Now, we go back again to the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that, uh, that one day uh, the woman's seed will bear the Messiah, and the Messiah will uh, have his heel uh, injured, but he will crush the serpent's head. And that is the promise of the Messiah and what he would do. So Genesis 1 through 11, we have society that is spin- spiraling downward. It is a, a downward pro- uh, regression, not progression, regression down uh, away from God and away from the things of God. And we have a coming Messiah that would come from the lineage of Seth and Noah and Shem and Peleg. 
Now, the hope of humanity has found this one family line, but the family doesn't live that distinctly from the rest of the world. Now, I know we would think that. You would think that Abraham's family would somehow be different, but we don't see that. Uh, the, so what happens is the entire family line lays on the shoulders of Seth's descendants. If Seth's descendants are gone, then we have no way for the Messiah to make it and continue to fulfill the promise of God. So at the end of Genesis 11, it seems like, at least, that all hope is gone. But one family that is supposed to bring hope lives in Ur of the Chaldeans. It's uh, in Ur, they worship Nanar, which is the moon god, Abraham's father. Terah, the meaning of his name actually is related to moon. Abraham's father is not a worshiper of Yahweh. We have no indication of that at all. He is probably very much like the people around him. He's an idolater and worshiping this moon god. And uh, Joshua knew the history of his people. So uh, Joshua actually said that to all the people. He said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods, Joshua 24, 2. So you think, well, then how can a pagan family turn the hearts of the people back to Yahweh? How could now Genesis 3.15 be fulfilled? It's, it's gone so far away. Now they're idolaters. They're so far away from God. And then we have Shem, the one who's chosen to bear the name of God. But we have his family, even that family, blowing it. So the family is supposed to bear the name of God, but they bear the name of Nanar. Think of the, think of the intricacies of what God had to do to move that back. So here we find out that God is faithful. His promise is to save and deliver his people not contingent upon their faithfulness to him. He promised, his promise to save is bound to his own character of faithfulness. He is the faithful God. He is faithful and true. When you read that in Revelation, going full circle, coming back to who he is, faithful and true. So God calls Abraham. Here's this 75-year-old moon-worshiping man. He has a wife that had, can't have children. And he promises, God promises to make Abraham, a great nation from all the nations who would be blessed. Now, he's an unlikely candidate because Abraham is uniquely unqualified to be used by God. Let me say that again. He is an unlikely candidate because he is uniquely unqualified. Let me say that word, unqualified to be used by God. Now, when we think about ourselves, we're very much that same way. We are uniquely unqualified for salvation. And because of that, you're uniquely unqualified for God's work. But there's one word that changes that, and that's the word grace. And God then qualifies you and the people in your life connection group that are followers of him by doing in you the work that he wants to do. You see, we're unqualified for salvation. There's nothing we could ever do to earn the favor of God. And God has graciously called you to power, uh, graciously and powerfully called you, excuse me, to faith. You also are in the same condition as Abraham hopeless you weren't qualified even if you came from the best christian family even if you're a pk or an mk even if you grew up in the church and baptized at a young age and walked forward and went to youth camp and went to children's vbs and went to a christian college and you know all those things that we put way up there we were still dead in our sins and it was God that had to call you salvation. He made you alive. It was his work. All the time it was his, not yours. So, not only were you uniquely unqualified for salvation, 
in God's work. Bullet point two, since God's work is graciously powerful, you cannot be overinflated with self-importance. So it's not about me and who, how great I am. Now, Abraham would be a great nation, but he couldn't live for a minute and take any credit for himself, right? He can only give glory to God. You know, we're all tempted, especially those of us that are in the ministry. We think, oh, I'm God's gift to the church. God needs me. And other people think that too. God needs me. They're not going to survive without me. You think you're uniquely qualified for God's work. Nope. God has graciously and powerfully changed you, and you need him. So whenever you're tempted to think too highly of yourself, look back to who you once were. So God's call, first of all, we find out is graciously powerful. But second of all, we find out that God's call is radically uncomfortable. Now, go back to the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verses 3 to 4. Stephen said God called Abraham while he was in Ur. And uh, you can go to Genesis 15, 7 for a reference of that and find out a little bit more. Uh, Genesis eleven twenty-seven to 31 is a setting for the call. So let's just think about this. Maybe God calls Abraham and he's able to convince his father to leave Ur with him, right? But they don't get very far. Abe's father becomes a follower of Yahweh as well. You think? Well, in Genesis 31, 53, he might have. Um, if you go and read that passage, you'll find it talks about the gods of Nahor and gods of Abraham and all those things. Um, anyway, it's a possibility. But anyway, the point is, is that Abe, Abe's family settled in Haran, but Abe's not uh, call is not a call to settle. Instead, is a call to follow. So we have Terah dying in Haran, and once Terah dies, Abe goes, Abraham goes ahead, and or Abram, goes ahead and moves forward. And by the way, as Pastor Tommy said, the, those names are interchangeable. Abram, uh, he was called Abraham, father of many nations at one point, but uh, we will probably call him both throughout this uh, length of, of uh, Abraham's life. Anyway, but in the truth of the matter is that we are all settling. We all settle. Um... You know, I just think that we tend to get to the point where, you know, we just want to chillax, right? So here's a 75-year-old guy. I mean, shouldn't he be in an easy chair, a recliner, somewhere, kicked back, enjoying life, going fishing every day? And yet at 75, he said, follow me. The call was to leave his land. He left his people he knew. He left his relatives. He left his place where he knew everyone. And he was probably a, uh, had great impact. And, and he left. And he forsook everything he was comfortable with. And he followed him. And he went where God showed him. Think about this. There wasn't a road map. But how could Abraham say no to God when God promised Abraham so much? So God said to Abraham, go, Abraham said, where? And God said, I'll show you later. Remember? God said to Abraham, I'll give you a son. And Abraham, how? Abraham said, how? And God said, I'll show you later. God said to Abraham, kill your son. Abraham said, why? And God said, I'll show you later. There was nothing comfortable, nothing settling about the life of Abraham. And it didn't make sense. So we find the greatness that God wants to give 
It's different. Remember Babel? Greatness would, would come not in gaining everything and, and not in making these great epitaphs and these great symbols of greatness. It would come from losing everything and trusting the plan of God. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is that not the essence of faith? More than what I want is comfortable, more than what I want is secure and logical. What we need to be and want is be in the center of God's will. So how do you know if you're in the center of God's will? How do you know if you're embracing God's call to live that call to live a radically uncomfortable life for God's glory? Well, it's three questions. Number one, are you holding on to anything other than God for security? What are you secure in? Is it in your finances? Is it in your education? Is it in your, you name it. Number two, are you abusing God's call in order to remain comfortable? You say, I don't feel called. We, we assume God isn't calling us to a specific mission or place of service. Instead of the opposite, he is probably calling us. That's the assumption he is calling us. Number three, you're making decisions based on how you will be blessed or how you might bless others. See, it's not about my blessing. It is about me blessing others. It is about me helping others. It is about me pouring my life into others. And the third principle of God's call is this. God's call is unmistakably missional. Okay, let's go over, the, let's go over all three first. God's call is graciously powerful. God's call is radically uncomfortable. And then God's call is unmistakably missional. Here Abraham goes, 75 years old. He takes his barren wife, starts this new adventure. You know, this is just not the time to start new. And all he could hold on to was the promise of God. Now, we read the story, and we look at it from the back to the front, you know, or the front to the back. And we, we can see the, the end from the beginning, but he could not. So here this man, Abram, goes, and he travels about 800 miles from Haran. And what did he get? Did he get souls or slaves or converts? You know? Let me tell you what, what it's about. Abraham is on mission. So God leads Abraham to Canaan, and he can make Abraham a great nation in an uninhabited land. But what he does is he sends Abraham in the middle of enemy territory. Sound familiar? That's where the Israelites are going, by the way, the middle of enemy territory. And here's Shechem, the, the, his, his, his what would, we would call the geographical center of Canaan. And there, in the middle of the geographical center, he builds an altar. And in verse 7, we find out these words, your descendants will dwell here. In Bethel, the house of God, he will build an altar. He will build an altar. So uh, Abraham builds altars in cities that were known for the worship of the supreme Canaanite god El. Why? Because now what he's doing is he is reclaiming this land that was for this Canaanite god. He is reclaiming it not for El, but for Yahweh. The enemy land where God has been rejected belongs to God now. And he's bearing the image of God in Shechem and Bethel. We live in a North Charleston area that is built on idolatry as well. We've got to be Always aware of that. We are on the same mission of God, called to claim the land for God, called to proclaim the gospel, announcing a better kingdom. That's what we're for. So what do we do? We claim where we are, North Charleston, for Jesus by faithfully sharing the gospel. We know the call. Why don't we live it out? If the only right response to God's call is to walk in faith and obedience, why don't we do it? A verse helps us understand. 
The Bible says Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, there was, a, it's James 2, 23, by the way. There's a lack of intimacy with God. You're not going to walk by faith if you don't know the God who calls you to faith. And then what about ex exchange complacency for communion? So not only do we claim North Charleston, we, we exchange complacency for communion. More than programs and mission trips and small groups and all those things that we, you know, this is what we need, this intimacy in our walk with God. Tell your Life Connection group that. They need that intimacy. Yes, this is where we start. Community is a great place to start. It's a terrible place to finish. We need to have that intimacy with God. Jesus himself lived out the call of the Father in his life. The call of the Father was to go, to leave that which was uncomfortable. There was never a greater place than heaven, the comforts of heaven. And Jesus comes down to this earth, the perfect son of God, living in this fallen world among fallen people, radically uncomfortable. To the point where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus left his home so that we could find our way home. He died and rose again three days later. And that is where ultimate security is found. In a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not in the things of the world. But in trusting in what God has promised us would come to pass. Jesus died in your place, taking your sin upon himself so you could be settled in the kingdom of God. That's what you need to know, and that's what your Life Connection group needs to know. All righty, let's jump into honesty time. Um, the first question I like uh, because it kind of gives a review, and you might want to do a short review of Genesis 1 through 11 and maybe have them talk about some things that, um, you know, what they learned about humanity, what they learned about themselves. Uh, what they learned about God from the first chapter, and they might say, well, you know, I never knew that, those kind of things. Uh, those would be good. Uh, but let's get uh, honesty time. Uh, you might either talk about what the calling of God is and let them talk about what they think it is, and then I would follow it up in this particular situation. What has God called you to? Anybody here re uh, come to the point where they even la uh, last week maybe recognized what has God called them to? Um. All right, let's examine the text. Okay, first let's read uh, Genesis eleven twenty-seven to 31. Uh, why are these verses so significant in helping us understand Abram's story? Because what they do is they give us the background. They give us the, uh, the foothold of what, what's, what's happening. Um, that we have this, this man Abraham and where he came from and what he's doing and what he's about to do and, and who he was related to and, and where uh, all those things. So it kind of gives us the history and the background. Um, what is significant about the place from which God called Abraham out of? Remember, they were known for their worship of the moon god. Uh, Nanar was his name, N-A-N-N-A-R, N-A-N-N-A-R, the moon god. Uh, Terah's name was even uh, a, a wordplay uh, on the moon god as well. Um, so that, that's what they were known for. Now in Genesis, uh, if you are Genesis eleven thirty one, why do you think, Terah settled in Haran instead of continuing the journey to Canaan. Well, we know why. Uh, I think he, he didn't want to go to Canaan. He, he had gone far enough, right? Uh, he wanted to settle. You know, he's getting old. I mean, if Abraham was old, Terah was even older, and he was ready to settle. And uh, Abraham was called to follow. Uh, I don't think that we ever have any inkling that Terah somehow was called to follow. Um, so he wanted to settle, rest, take it easy. So what does Genesis eleven twenty seven to 31 teach us about God's grace? Hey, God doesn't call us because we're great. It is the God who is faithful that is making a way, right? 
It is God who is faithful. And God takes this moon-worshiping man with a barren wife and promises to make him a great nation. That, my friend, is grace. Just as unqualified as he was, um, he was unqualified. Um, but we also know that God qualifies us through the death of Christ. That's where grace comes in. And since God's work, and that's the second bullet point, is graciously powerful, you cannot be overinflated with self-importance. And uh, finally, uh, those, those things, those two are very important to remember. So we should be greatly encouraged because we're in the same boat, right? We need God's grace. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, what do you see in these verses that is significant? Um, well, if you read them, Let's read them together, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and I'm still in Genesis 31, so let me turn back. All righty, 1 through 3, the Bible says, the Lord God said to Abraham, Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we have this promise of God that is given to Abraham. Um, you know, it was this, this call of God that was on him. That in this call, he said all that was going to happen would be, not because he was great, but because the God that called him was great. Um. Greatness it, it would come in losing everything. Greatness would come in, in making his name great and having a great people that would come from himself would be completely trusting this plan of God. Um, so we have that in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It's the same for us. That is not because of who we are, right? It is because of who God is. That God is the one that calls us. And it even gets to discipleship in Luke 14, 26. And that's where that comes in. You can't be his disciple. Uh, Genesis 12, 3. Uh, how does this verse relate to what happened to the Tower of Babel? Again, go back to verse 12, 12 verse 3. It says, um, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. See, they were trying to make the name great in showing how great they were by building this tower. And now it is God who calls this man out of idolatry. This man called out of these things, and this man of Abraham is now going to, by trusting God, is going to make the name of God great. And all the peoples will be pointed to the greatness of God and the greatness of what Abraham did in trusting God because of God and his grace. Not because he built some magnificent building that would never be forgotten. Which, by the way, we have no idea where it is today. Okay, interesting enough. Um, number six, Moses wanted us to know that Abraham was 75 years old and that Sarah was barren. If you look at verse four, why are these facts so significant to the story? Well, obviously, it was if God was going to keep his promise, it was going to have to be all God. It couldn't be because Abraham was this young, vigorous young man that could do it all on his own and make his way and, and fight his way through. And He didn't even have a wife that could have a baby. If the line was going to continue through Abraham, it was going to have to be because God opened the womb of his wife. It was going to have to be God. Something only God can do. 
All right, number seven, Abram left Haran and built altars to God in the land of Canaan. Remember the center of uh, in Shechem, the geographical center of Canaan. Why is it so significant that Abraham built altars in Canaan? Of course, the, the, the reason is uh, the, uh, the God, he was staking a claim for God in this land, in Shechem. He built an altar. He was claiming it. It's this God, it's this El God. He's saying, no, not the Canaanite God, El. We're reclaiming this land for Yahweh. This enemy land where God has been rejected actually belongs to God. And Abraham bears the image of God in Shechem and Bethel. And the proof of that was building an altar there of the worship of God. Okay, let's apply the truth. Now, how does this passage help you understand God's work of grace? Wow. Folks, if you can't see that in the life of Abraham, when there was no hope, absolutely hopeless. No reason to call him. He wasn't, a, he wasn't some great worshiper of Yahweh. He was an idol worshiper. And God calls him to faith, first of all. And then God calls him to go. And then God calls him to establish his kingdom there in Israel. Wow. That's grace. Who does God save? He saves those who are hopeless. Those that recognize that they cannot be saved. Who, who does God use? God uses those who are hopeless. That don't think that they can be used. That they haven't built themselves up. That they haven't say, look at me, how great I am. Remember we talked about this greatness idea. And that somehow we've got to get away from that. Um, you know, we've got to say, you know, it's not because of me. It's because of who God is. It's not my greatness. It's God's greatness. That's what we're talking about. There is no self-importance. Um, there is no grace. Uh, there is grace. There is only nothing of ourselves, I should say. It is all because of God's grace. And that affects your inflated view of self, you know, by saying, hey, listen, it's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's God. Number three, how do you know if you're embracing God's call to live a radically uncomfortable life for his glory? How do you know that? Um, well, there's some things we can do. If we're going to do the call of God and we're going to be radical in our following him, then, you know, we got to do some things. We got to claim North Charleston for Jesus. And how we do that? We faithfully share the gospel. That's one. That's radical. Faithfully share the gospel with our friends, our family, our co-workers, our, our fellow students. Um, then we exchange complacency for communion. We say, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. This is not about, about me doing my own thing and, and getting comfortable, but Lord, I want to have a radically uncomfortable life focused on you and focused on others. That's what I need, God. And that's what Jesus did for us. Um, let's respond to the truth. Number one, uh, what do you think God is calling you to do in response to uh, Genesis chapter 11 and 12? Uh, you know, uh, some are going to say, well, you know, I, I believe that God has called me to. I think that God's going to use the talents and gifts that he's given me to, to help reach my ward in my hospital for Christ, my floor for Christ, my class for Christ. You know, I, I just want you to know that I took that challenge when I was 13, 14 years old when I came to Christ. 
And I decided that I would try to reach my school for Christ. And I did. I tried. And a lot, many people were saved. You know, God can use each one of us, even if we're 13 or 14. If God can use a 13 or 14-year-old and God can use a 75-year-old, God can use you. God can use those in your life connection group. Number two, how will this passage of Scripture in Genesis 11 and 12 inform the way you pray this week? Okay, Lord God, use me for your call. Call me to do your work. Don't let me depend upon myself, but depend upon the, your grace. Okay, we're going to pray over you in a minute that way. All right, number three, what does this passage teach us about God's plan to reach the nations with the gospel? Wow, that he had it from the very beginning. His plan will not be thwarted. His plan will happen where every tribe, tongue, and nation will one day worship around the throne. Why? Because they heard the gospel. And how should this passage encourage you to live on mission this week? There's going to be people who say, I need to live on mission. I need to stand for Christ. I need to let people know that Jesus changed my life, that I'm not like I used to be, and that they need Jesus desperately. Uh, let them share how God can use them in a special way this week. It doesn't have to be intricate. You don't have to have money. You just need to open your life to what God wants to say through you and live through you. Okay, that doesn't take money. That doesn't mean we got to change the mission of the church. That means that people need to stand up and be counted and share the good news of Christ in ways that people can understand and the gospel make a difference in their lives. All right, let me pray for you and we will go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the blessing of this week. Lord, that uh, you have called us to mission. Lord, to reach people around us. People that are standing by us in line or people at the grocery store or people at our work or people at school or, or wherever, Lord God, we know that you have called us. There is no doubt. It's not just a calling to mission, to be a missionary. It's a calling to mission. It's not just calling to pastor. It's calling to minister and share Jesus with others. Lord, I pray that you would use us this week through your grace as unworthy as we are that you would use us to reach people for christ as never before in jesus name we pray amen all right guys we well, y'all are uh, the greatest and the best thank you for listening being a part and i pray that this week will be a big one for you and we look forward to hearing all that god does in your life connect always report back to me you can always email me, Trey at NorthwoodBaptist.com. If you have questions, Trey at NorthwoodBaptist.com. If you didn't quite get something I said, feel free to contact me and I'll be I'll get back with you. And uh, I do check my emails, so hopefully we can help you through that. Okay, God bless you. Have a great week.